If you've ever wondered about what goes on behind the scenes at restaurants, then you're in the right place. This podcast takes you inside the minds of restaurant owners, chefs, bartenders, servers, basically anyone who has anything to do with food, drink, or hospitality. I'm Brady Vixilio, owner of Steinhilber's Restaurant in Virginia Beach, and Abella Italia on Laskin Road. Welcome to the Czech Podcast. Now I'm Alvin Williams, co-host of the Czech and owner of Cobalt Grill Restaurant at Hilltop North in Virginia Beach. Welcome to our podcast. Brady, what do you think would make your life a little bit easier in the restaurant? How about a little artificial intelligence? What, what are your feelings on that? I could use all the artificial, real intelligence, <laughs> artificial intelligence. Just any kind of intelligence. Any, any kind of intelligence would be helpful. Well, I ask because it seems more and more prevalent that businesses, and, and especially in the fast food industry, for example, they are using uh, AI, artificial intelligence. And they're using that to make up for the lack of workers, which is some of the issues that we have. And I think they're also using it just for better efficiency, maybe to even curb some of their payroll costs. Yeah, that's right. And we've spoken a lot about uh, technology in restaurants. We have mentioned the uh, Taco Bell in Atlanta that's, I think, run by one person. We've talked about Flippy, the, the robot arm. Oh, the fryers, deep fryers. He's, he's got like three fryers going at one time. And he flips hamburgers and oh, yeah, yeah. and um, and let's see, there's a, a KFC, I believe, in Moscow that basically you drive up and you just tell this uh, computer what you want and it spits it out. I have also heard about McDonald's in particular, and they are investing heavily into this this kind of tech. So this particular uh, restaurant chain has a long way to go before it can roll out AI to all fourteen thousand of its U.S. restaurants. But as it stands, 20% of its orders in six top markets are already made digitally through apps, kiosks, or for delivery. And that accounts for $13 billion in sales. And we've talked a lot about service versus hospitality. I've mentioned the example of the soda machine being really good service when it's working properly. Yeah. But it's a little cold. The problem is... The soda's cold or the service is cold? Oh, both. Yeah, you're right. And the problem is, the challenge is getting that warmth and that hospitality yeah. into automation. But what do you think? Do you think people want that? Or do you just think they want their food or their soda now and they don't really care how it's... I think everybody wants more. Be delivered to them. I think everybody wants some warmth. Yeah, I, I agree. And so, so there's a place for AI, but there's also a place for the kind of service that we provide. Well, and also the AI... If it's artificial intelligence, it can have that artificial warmth and and give that element of hospitality. So you go from a soda machine with buttons and a quarter slot to one that you go over to and it says, Hi, Brady, what soda can I provide to you today? Yeah. And uh, that- I'll have a Coke soda machine. Okay, one moment. And it comes out. Your Your account will be debited $12. And we'll be speaking precisely about... All those things AI-related to Rob Carpenter, who is the CEO and founder of Valiant AI out of Colorado. Rob's got a master's degree in business administration with a specialization in enterprise technology management. He's won numerous awards, um, has been named one of the top 25 most influential young professionals in the whole state of Colorado, and he received the Denver Trailblazer Award. Rob and his company, Valiant AI, has been working for at least the past five years on conversational AI, which has been deployed in, in restaurants to 
collect orders, and uh, we're going to find out what else. Rob, welcome to the chat. Thank you, guys. Appreciate you having me. Rob, tell me a little bit about your background and how you got into the uh, field of artificial intelligence. (laughs) Uh, Well, it's going to be one of the most random backgrounds that maybe you or your guests have ever heard before. Uh, I was actually born and raised in a fishing village on the west coast of Alaska, right on the Bering Sea. And before you can ask if anybody remembers Sarah Palin at this point, no, I cannot see Russia from my back door. Um, <laughs> a lot of open land, the occasional grizzly bear. Was born and raised, spent uh, all 18 years there, ended up getting an undergrad degree in entrepreneurship. And really, I just kind of looked at the people that were leading the lives that I wanted to live. And it seemed like most of them were business owners, you know, or entrepreneurs. And Maybe like a lot of people that start up companies, I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and it just sort of really opened my mind to a whole new world that I didn't really know was possible. And so, you know, whether it was a lawn mowing business in high school and advertising business in college, I got into real estate after that. Ultimately, I settled in Colorado in 2010. And in 2012, I started a custom software development company called Appet Ventures. And we built apps for entrepreneurs. So in the six and a half years I ran the company, we built and launched 350 custom applications. I acquired companies in India, and then I acquired a company in London. And while I was in London, I had the idea for what eventually became Valiant, which was the idea to automate entry-level customer service in physical locations. Was this a problem that you were having in London and you felt that you needed to solve this problem? Yeah, it kind of was. So I was at the British History Museum and I was looking at the Rosetta Stone. It's this important piece of human history and there's not much information about it. It's got a bit of a conflict-based background, obviously taken from the Egyptians by the French and then the French lost it to the British. So like half of Europe is, you know, kind of pissed that the Rosetta Stone is in London, for lack of a better term. So uh, I was talking to a museum curator and she was giving me that backstory. And so I started having that idea of like, man, it would be cool if you had a digital museum curator that you could talk to and carry on a conversation and look them in the eye. And uh, within a few months of that idea, we actually built the prototype for what was effectively a holographic employee. It was a fully animated person that we rendered on a transparent display. It had facial recognition so she could greet you by name, you could carry on a conversation with her. But all of the off-the-shelf AI technology at the time sucked. And so we realized if we were ever going to bring this holographic employee technology to market, we were first going to have to kind of crack the nut around conversational AI. And so that's why we really doubled down, pivoted the business model from being this sort of holographic digital employee to conversational AI technology. And we've basically been there for five years now, working on automating, taking the order, answering questions, and then inserting orders into the point of sale system. So tell us a little bit about what artificial intelligence is and where we find it and where we experience it. Yeah, so there's a lot of artificial intelligence out there already in the marketplace. Um, From a very simple level, think about the traditional software that maybe we're all used to, whether it's a website or whether it's um, Microsoft Excel or a photo program, a, a podcast audio editing program. Traditional software is based on ones and zeros. It's binary. It either is or it is not. Um, AI is different. AI is probabilistic. It is, well, 
I think this is this, and I'm 60% confident. So in our case, the key area where we use actual AI is a subdomain called machine learning, and it's specific to converting audio or speech into text. So a customer pulls into the drive-thru, says, I want a cheeseburger. We get those audio wave files, and we need to convert those audio wave files that go up and down into readable text that we can take action and do things with. And so that's where we're using AI or machine learning. You will also see AI or machine learning in things like self-driving cars as that technology continues to advance. If you've seen the documentary, The Social Dilemma, you knew that Facebook is using AI algorithms in how they design news feeds in social media. We're seeing it a lot more creep into things like insurance underwriting and probably a thousand other uh, use cases on the low end. So you really specialize in conversational AI. Is that is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. And is it mostly generated towards um, the restaurant industry or do you cover everything and that's just one small facet of your business? Nope. Our entire business is restaurant. Our entire business right now is drive-through order automation. And we are entirely focused on brands that have 500 locations or more. I've got one of your recordings and we'd like to play it and we can listen to it all together. And if you hit a spot that you want to talk about, because we want to experience that as closely as we can uh, for those of us who haven't done it. And we can listen to this uh, little clip and you tell us uh, if you want to break in and say, okay, this was a big problem. Because we're, <laughs> we're pretty sure it's not your usual, like your robocall where they come and they say, you know, you are due for your insurance. What is it they always call you for? Uh, uh, your warranty, vehicle warranty. Your vehicle, vehicle warranty. <laughs> it, it is not that. So, all right, all right. We're dealing with things that are way more fun, like milkshakes and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, 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 cool. All right, here we go. Welcome to the Checkers Self-Checkout. I'm your automated order taker. Tell me what you would like. Uh, yes, ma'am. I need a number three. Would you like your Baconzilla combo to be medium or large? Uh, medium with no ketchup. What do you want to drink? Diet Coke. I added one medium Baconzilla combo with no ketchup with medium Diet Coke. Anything else? Yes, ma'am. And then I need a number nine. Would you like the regular or half pound? Uh, the half pound. Would you like your Chicken Bites box combo to be medium or large? Medium. What do you want to drink? Sweet tea. What dipping sauce would you like? Ranch and barbecue. I added one medium Chicken Bites half pound box combo with side of ranch and side of barbecue sauce with medium sweet iced tea. Anything else? That's it. I have one medium Baconzilla combo with no ketchup with medium Diet Coke, and one medium Chicken Bites half-pound box combo with side of ranch and side of barbecue sauce with medium sweet iced tea. Thank you. Please pull forward and have a nice day. Hey, Rob, this, uh, it seems simple on the surface, but tell us, a lot, tell us more about what goes on to get us to, into this kind of interaction, because I'm sure it's not simple at all. Uh, it is not. Um, and, uh, you know, I'll try to save you some of the most boring or uh, gory details, if you will. But I do think a quick high level for everybody on how this technology works would be super helpful. So the first thing is we're a hardware software company. We have a patent pending on a piece of technology called the NX1A. We install that inside the restaurant, traditionally next to the base station that runs the employee's headset systems. 
so that when a customer pulls into the drive-through in that case, the presence sensor that's underneath the drive-through is triggered. It sends a signal to the headset. We grab it, and then we fire off that greeting that you heard. The customer will then tell us what they want. Let's say it's a cheeseburger. Audio then flows from the customer to the microphone, from the microphone into the headset system. So the employees can hear through the entire conversation what the customer said. Then it flows into our NX1A hardware. From there, we convert the audio to text. And that's where we talked about our use of AI and machine learning. We then run it through our natural language processor, which pulls the text apart and basically creates intents. In the case of something simple like a cheeseburger, it would be, you know, add one cheeseburger to order. That then flows into the natural language generator, which we really kind of view as sort of the brains of the operation. And within the natural language generator, a lot of things happen. It says, am I a restaurant that serves cheeseburgers? Because I could be Taco Bell, right? Uh, am I open? We'll have people that drive up and try to talk to the system at 3 a.m. Do I currently have cheeseburgers in stock? Maybe it's morning time and I only sell breakfast sandwiches. Do we have cheese? Are you allowed to substitute the bun? Do I need to ask you if you want to make it a combo? Should I ask you if you want to make it a large combo? Should I just assume you only want the sandwich and go right to asking you if you want to add a dessert to the item? All of those things and literally hundreds of others are kind of happening instantaneously inside that natural language generator. Whatever it decides to output, let's say it's, you know, would you like to make that a large combo is then sent and converted back to audio. We send it back to the NX1A hardware. It goes back to the headset. So the employees can now hear what the customers or what the AI said. And then it goes out to the speaker so that we can then talk back to the customer. And we try to make that entire interaction, as you heard, occur within roughly one to two seconds of when the customer stops talking to us. Let's assume in this scenario, the customer says, no combo, that's all I want. That then flows back to the natural language generator. We inject that cheeseburger into the point of sale system. The point of sale system gives us a final price. We convert that back to audio and we send it back to the customer and say, your total is $2.50. Please pull forward and pay at the window. And so that's kind of how everything sort of flows through the system in the background. Um, Valiant is a end-to-end provider. This is very hard. So we are not trying to just solve one key component and expect the restaurants to figure out how to compile it together. So for the restaurants that bring us in, we do everything. We install the hardware. We make sure it's working. We train the menu. We make sure that we're integrated into the point of sale system. We go through, we test, we make sure everything's working correctly. And then we ramp up the hours that the AI is available to take orders. And within a few days to a week, it takes over seven days a week, you know, 18 hours a day, open to close, running the drive through window. Wow. That is some complex stuff. And this is all happening at lightning speed. So you must have some major, lightning. major technology. Yeah, there's about 10 to 15 core components that exist. There's a bunch that I didn't touch on. Everything has to be able to complete its work in about 100 to 300 milliseconds. Because when you compile 10 to 15 things on top of each other, that's when you end up at two seconds, three, four seconds. And so absolutely everything has to work at lightning speed. So what happens if the Wi-Fi goes out? We have this problem all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Well, then the credit card machine is down and the employees are going to have a very bad afternoon. So it's been a long, a long road with this uh, AI. I remember back in, I think in my college days, which was I graduated in 1997. So it's been quite a while. Uh, we had the the dragon speech to text, I think was the first one yeah. that came out uh-huh. and it still exists as far as I know. And I think there's otter out there. Now, is there a, 
like a depository, like an open source thing that you can that you can tap into to really get speech patterns and things like that, or you have to come up with it all yourself. You have to come up with it all yourself. Wow. Drive through particularly presents a very unique challenge in that you have a very noisy environment. You might have people talking in the car, you have the car's engine, you have background noise, could be a highway, could be construction, could be a leaf blower. We have these birds at this one location and man, they do everything they can to throw off the AI by chirping away in the background there. So you have what I kind of refer to as a bit of like audio pollution and it all degrades the audio that you're trying to pull from the customer with as much clarity as possible so that you can take action upon that. So especially with music playing too. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. Or if they're talking to somebody in the car and then you're like, are they talking to us? Or are they talking to them? Um, so we're trained on about a quarter of a million customer and employee conversations that we've directly collected ourselves. We've annotated it, which means we've added text to audio, and then we've trained the machine learning models on that information. And Holly, is that the person or the, the voice? Of that's, your... that's her name. And is, is Holly an acronym or is it just a name you like, or is it, you know, uh, it's actually short for hologram which is a little Easter egg from where we started the company. So when we come out with our mail version, then it'll be Graham. So we'll have Holly and Graham. <laughs> Very smart. Cool. Do, do you have those names patented? I mean, like uh, trademarks? <laughs> Not yet. And, you know, look, guys, if I'm being honest with you, you know, we're in a couple of different brands right now, but all of this stuff is still very cutting edge. You know, we just signed an agreement with a pretty decent sized QSR to move from pilot to scale, but it's all very early stages. I think ultimately what's going to happen is each brand is ultimately going to want to own their own persona. So we can consider Holly or Graham our default versions right now. But I think if you look at something like Bank of America, you know, their automated assistant, her name is Erica. So I would be shocked if in one to two years, these brands haven't built their own personas around these AIs. And if you have founders or other spokespersons for your brand, then those are easy things to glob onto. I would expect Colonel Sanders to be taking all drive-through orders in about two to three years. Oh, that's pretty quick. At pretty quick KFCs. So we're not in that uh, kind of market. We're in a different restaurant market. We're not in the fast food uh, drive-through business. But I'm interested to know your take on what do you think are the pros and the cons of human interaction versus interaction with AI? And, and vice versa. I mean, do you think there's this, yeah. you know, what, what? I feel that a really good allegory is the self-checkout at grocery stores. And if you walk into a grocery store, you're going to see some percentage of your customer base that prefers self-checkout. You're going to see some percentage of your customer base that prefers to check out with a person. And I think where you see the vast majority are people that are a little indifferent in between, and they basically go where the, the line is the shortest and they're going to get out the quickest. Um, at least for Valiant, I can say in all of the situations where we're taking customer orders, if the customer says, employee, human, you're dumb, I don't like you, any of those things, then we can just automatically transfer the conversation to uh, the on-site staff. But we really don't see that happen very often. Um, I think right now we're sitting at about 96.5% order automation rate. So you know, you have about 4% of orders getting handed off to on-site employees. That's a pretty amazing statistic. I know that I'm, I'm a short line guy. I go for whatever short line it, there is, but I know Alvin, 
You like the uh, you don't like that automated thing because you don't work there. <laughs> yes, we have we have talked about this before. Yeah, I don't work at the grocery store, so I uh, I don't want to run my own things through the uh, self checkout. But I will if I only have maybe one item, and there's long lines and everywhere else. Then I will use it just to save time. But generally, I would like to go up to the counter and, and speak to someone and have that uh, communication. And again, I I don't work there. Earlier, we talked about the comparison to a soda machine as having really good service where you put the money in, you hit the button, and you have a, a nice cold soda come out. And we also talked about the possibility of having a soda machine with maybe facial recognition. Hello, Brady, would you like to have your Sprite today or whatever? Yeah, yeah. it would be great. And it pops out, and it's nice and cold, and your bank account's automatically debited and exactly. walk away. Um, so that gives a little bit more war- warmth, I guess, to the soda machine experience because the soda machine while it has really great service it has zero hospitality so yep. that I, I would think that one of the hard things to do for you is to weave that hospitality into holly for example yeah and i think we'll start to see a lot of that coming next year both from us and from our competitors right now there's um i think the prevailing setup is that every customer is sort of treated the same and I think we need to start getting into a situation where if the customer is frustrated, the AI is more sympathetic to the customer. Or if the customer is clearly in a hurry, the AI doesn't bother with upsells and just tries to get to the point as fast as possible. We as humans are very good at mirroring the people that we are communicating with. And I think that's one of the areas where AI needs to improve over the next year. So, for instance, in that recording, the uh, the gentleman in the drive through he was he sounded real polite and real nice. And he kept saying, you know, yes, ma'am, I'm going to have this. And so let's say for instance, he said, okay, sir, I want this. Now would Holly, would she correct him and say, uh, I'm not a, I'm not a sir. How far does it go? She would not correct. I want to say that uh, I can go on record and say, you know, Holly's gender fluid. So you can call her whatever you want to call her. And and he's just going to roll with it. (laughs) But if you ask her for her number, she will give you a cheeky response. We have a a few of those things built in there, but like much to our chagrin, they just never happen. Nobody asks her where she was made, when she was made, what her phone number is, what her hobbies are. We have all these things in there, and nobody cares. They don't, they don't happen <laughs> enough. Huh? Well, in, that, in nope. that recording, the guy, he didn't seem like he knew that he was speaking to AI. It seemed like he just thought he was speaking to a person. It's going to be on a case-by-case basis. I think in that scenario, we did announce ourselves as a robot in the beginning. Right. I wouldn't consider granted i spend a lot of time in this industry but i wouldn't consider that voice quite yet at a human level but we have done a version of it which is a pure human voice and if the ai doesn't make a mistake then the customer doesn't know that they're talking to an ai and i think that's a very you know deep ethical quagmire for all of the people in my industry to work through over the next few years so people in our industry they i'm sure will have concerns that uh robots are going to be taking over their their jobs and their positions and that you know tech's going to you know be taking money out of their pockets what do you what do you think about that scenario so that's a question or a feeling that we get more often from let's say customers and journalists so a customer will be going through the drive through and they'll be like oh this this ai is taking people's jobs you know i want a human and they they 
think that they are doing good for the employees. They think they are defending the employees from the corporate overlords that are trying to take their jobs. The reality in the United States is there is 1.7 million unfilled restaurant positions. One in six of every current job openings are in the restaurant industry. One of the locations where we just went live about a month ago, there were supposed to be five employees on shift and only two showed up. Another location where we went live two weeks ago, the employees were literally cheering when we turned the system on. I'm not even kidding. Like they were so excited. They got a little too exuberant. They're like, yay, we never have to talk to customers again. And I'm like, whoa, slow down. <laughs> like 5%, 4% of the time, you still need to talk to customers and you also have to talk to them at the window. So simmer down here a little bit. But the employees out of all of our kind of key stakeholder groups are the most ardent supporters. I think customers need to focus on themselves and not have a misguided belief that they are protecting the employees because the employees don't need the protection. The employees don't want it. They want help. They need support. There are not enough people in this industry. If a customer has a bad experience, fine. Don't like the AI, but this AI is here and helping employees and employees want it. If it does its job, then just let it do its job and move on with your day. Same thing with the self-checkout land. That's a great point. I mean, the jobs that, you know, that are taken by AI, I'm feverishly trying to find dishwashers at any given week. And once I find them, I, I have them for a week or two, and then I got to start the cycle all, all over. I know there's this um, uh, other gendered fluid person that would work in the um, industry like like Holly named uh, Flippy. I'm sure you know yeah. Flippy. Actually, I know the Miso Robotics guys. Flippy is super cool. I was going to ask if Holly and Flippy ever met, but apparently they have. <laughs> <laughs> We'll set them up on a date at some point. Right. And if, and if if we had a Flippy that could wash the dishes, um, I'm sure it's coming, something like that, my employees would be very happy. And it seems like the dishwashers, if if they really, if their job was that important to them, they'd, they'd come into work. Right. And some of them do. It is important to some, but not all. Rob, not all. Rob, your technology has primarily been used in fast food restaurants. Are you doing anything to, you know, applications for similar technology in like finer dining restaurants or more upscale restaurants? Not yet. I think in person, it'll be challenging to see how that fits into a fine dining experience. I think the best case will be order ahead or when people are doing catering. And I think those those are places where it could really help out fine dining and sit-down restaurants. That's what I was wondering. What would that look like, that technology? So I guess with takeouts, if people call maybe a separate line if they want to order food, and then they would have your Holly on the line. Yeah, and then it would just be like the drive-through one where she'd greet you and you know invite you to place your order. And you'd have, have a runner doing the, the curbside pickup or whatever. Right. That, right. Yeah. that might or, be helpful. Or a flippy. I, Oh, yeah. <laughs> I will qualify just so I don't get your guys' hopes up here too much. And I, I think I'm speaking on behalf of the industry here that I wouldn't really expect this technology to get to fine dining for probably another two years. And the reason for that and the reason why we focus on fast food is it's still an extreme amount of work to build this AI for one menu. And once it's built, you want the business model where you can then just copy and paste it to all the other restaurants with the identical menu. The vast majority of your fine dining restaurants try to differentiate themselves from other restaurants by having their own unique menu items, which means 
the, you know, literally $100,000 plus work that goes in upfront to building this for a specific menu really can only be done once. And so I think we need to see those costs come down dramatically. And I think that will happen over the next couple of years where it does become financially feasible for both the AI company and the restaurant to build a one-off AI for one menu. So it makes sense for you and your business, your company to direct your attention to restaurants like McDonald's or Burger King or those places that have the same menu all over the country or all over the world. So you can just cookie cutter and it brings your costs down. Yes, exactly. For now. And that will change as the tools and technology continue to evolve. So that I, I would imagine that has to do with building your own database. Like I was asking about if there's any depository, you're creating that yourself and that's that's yours. That's Valiance. So correct. You'd be the leader in the hospitality field when it comes to AI, conversational AI. Yep. It, exactly. Hospitality. Yeah. So I think, you know, over the next year or two, speaking for us, we'll look to expand more broadly the restaurants and the size of the restaurants that we work with. And then after that, we'll look to expand into additional areas and additional hospitality venues. Um, but right now, we're trying to stay as focused as possible. Hotel check-ins. Lots of yeah. Stuff. Oh, absolutely. Airport check-in. I mean, come on, the car rental guys, they could definitely use some support. Movie theaters, you know, the opportunities here are nearly limitless and will be very dramatic over the next decade. So do you need this patent to move forward or are you just moving forward anyway and just hoping nobody tries to rip you off? <laughs> so we've actually got an entire patent portfolio around this technology and more patents coming behind that. Rob, Omar Bradley, who was a um, World War II general, uh, stated that ours is a world of nuclear giants and ethical infants. It seems today we're coming into a world of technical giants and ethical infants. As things advance so quickly, what do you think the ethical implications are of tech like AI? In terms of the ethical dilemmas in AI, I don't think there's any shortage. So in terms of kind of key things to chat through, you know, maybe in this exact situation, I think job loss impacted by AI is a very critical one, as well as the customer interaction and potentially feeling tricked based on that. I think the customer interaction and what is the obligation of the AI or the obviously the company that built the AI to acknowledge that it is an AI, that is still unfolding. I can say what we are doing today is the AI announces itself as being automated. We have a sign out front where it mentions that it's artificial and that you can say employee or human if you don't want to talk to it. And at least from my perspective, I think there's another one, which is in a lot of cases, an implicit understanding that it's not real just by the fact that it still sounds a bit computerized in a similar way to Google Home, Siri, or Alexa. Regulatory wise, I believe it's California now has a law in the books that stipulates that AIs need to identify themselves as AI. I think it's going to be a patchwork across the country over the next 10 to 15 years. But at some point, the federal government, I think, does need to take a lead on this because you need some sort of standardization across states for the technology companies to understand and just have one rule set to work off of versus 50 potentially extremely different rule sets, maybe with very different kind of financial penalties and things like that if you violate it. 
So right now, I don't think it's quite as big of a concern, but I think within one to two years, it'll start to become a bigger concern. And as I had mentioned earlier, you know, we do have a version of our system that sounds exactly like a human. We tend to find that the businesses and the consumers actually like interacting with the more human sounding version. So then I think that's going to put more importance on the AI announcing that it's an AI and a sign being up that says that it's an AI. So people don't have that feeling of being tricked. There's also kind of just tangentially a technical challenge for us that the more human the AI sounds, the more conversational the customers get and the more complicated the dialogue becomes. The more customers treat the AI like a six-year-old child, the better the AI does. When they start treating her, maybe like she sounds like a 25 to 35-year-old woman or man, then the, the complexity kind of goes through the roof. And so I think that's something that as the technology gets better, the engineering and the companies will have to work through. And then to kind of just circle back around to the second point around job losses, we had obviously talked earlier in the conversation about 1.7 million unfilled positions. I also think people just need to step back and take a more holistic view of economies and economies are dynamic. We need to not think that economies are stable and static and what you have is what you will always have. 120 years ago, 98, 99% of Americans worked in the agrarian industry. Today, it's 1.3%. But has our economy fallen off of a cliff because nobody works in agriculture anymore? No, absolutely not. Why? Because economies are dynamic. I don't know about you, but I much prefer to sit inside of a nice warm office, play ping pong, drink a cup of coffee, you know, than I do being out in a field in pouring rain. So I think that economic evolution is very important for countries and we shouldn't on face value consider it a bad thing. Where we do have to be concerned is too, too much automation too fast. Three, four years ago, I was very concerned about that because you do have situations where let's say semi-trucks become automated. Well, that's the number one job in 26 states. Taxi cab drivers become automated. Restaurant workers become automated. If all of that happens in five years, we have a huge problem on our hand. The reality is I think everybody's waking up and sobering up to the idea that AI is impressive, but it's not magical and it's got a ways to go. So when we look at things like that, I would expect those types of transitions to occur over the course of 20 to 30 years, not two to three years. And if it happens over the course of 20 to 30 years, I think our economy is dynamic enough to make up for those jobs that get automated as new jobs are invented and created to support new industries. A very, a very well put answer. You said that we're a couple of years away from this technology reaching fine dining. Um, going out five to 10 years, what do you think this technology could look like? In terms of the future and where I see this technology going, I want to provide one very big caveat right now. And that is the dirty secret of AI, and this is pretty much consistent across the board, is there is still a heavy amount of human involvement in the background. And nobody wants to talk about that. And they want to kind of wave their hands and they want to say that everything is just magic and the AI just works. It really doesn't. Uh, there was a report that came out that said something like 40% of all interactions with Google Home are reviewed by a person. So there's still heavy amounts of human involvement, and that's true for us. That's true for self-driving cars, whether it's a safety driver that's you know in the driver's seat or it's somebody back at an operation center that can take over and take control of the car. 
So I think where we're going to see specifically a lot of the value and innovation coming over the next five years are starting to pull those humans in the loop out. I think one of the things that self-driving cars have done that's very helpful is create a level system. So you have a level one, level two, all the way up to level five self-driving car. Level one is something slightly better than cruise control. Level five is a car that you can take a sleep, you know, take a nap in while it's driving over the Rockies in a blizzard. And you can feel completely comfortable that you are going to get to your end destination. Right now, self-driving cars are roughly around level two to level three. And I think conversational AI is sort of in a similar place of kind of being in that sort of level three area. And so over the next five years, we're going to start to see people getting pulled out of those transactions. The AI will start to complete the vast majority of interactions without any human support. The AI will be more sophisticated in terms of not needing any backup. And it'll also be more sophisticated in terms of being able to handle more conversations, more interactions, more complexity, more depth as time goes on. With a 10-year time frame, I would expect to start to see something more like a level four or level five conversational interaction, where really anything that you could expect your employee, who's, let's say, been in a position for three months to say and communicate to a customer, you should be able to expect the AI to do at least that well. And by the way, it'll do it in five languages. I also think kind of beyond sort of the technical capabilities, we'll then also start to see that technology, you know, flowing out to all of the other areas of restaurants, as we talked about earlier, because the the structures will become so good that the speed to roll out a new AI for a brand new menu will get faster and faster and faster. Right now, between us and our competitors, you know, we hear people saying it's anywhere between a month to three months to roll out a brand new AI for a brand new menu. Eventually, you know, that needs to get down to like an hour. And I think that's what we'll start to see over those next couple of years. And that's how we'll start to see it moving into smaller and smaller restaurants, ultimately getting down to fine dining restaurants that may only have one menu for their one location. Over that five to 10 year time horizon, we'll also then start to see it moving into other places, as we talked about. It'll then be a critical component of checking in at a hotel. You will have the same kind of grocery setup. You could do self-check-in quickly through the AI, or you could go and wait in line for probably one person to manage everybody from a check-in standpoint at that hotel. Self-driving cars, movie theaters, grocery, retail, this technology will start to kind of um, proliferate into all of those other areas. And within 10 years, a tangential AI technology, which is self-driving cars, should be fairly, I would assume, robust at that point. For most of your urban and suburban neighborhoods, you will have these, you know, little anywhere between the, the size of a VW bug down to a Yeti cooler on wheels that people will stick your food inside of, and then it'll come and it'll drive your food to you. I think that's going to be a critical pivot point for restaurants because there's such a huge movement towards to-go, pickup, and delivery And most of the delivery companies are all still unprofitable. That is a business model that, in my opinion, doesn't work yet. And either there just needs to be one company and they can charge what they need to charge to be profitable and there's no competition, or there needs to be a technological shift. And something like fully automated delivery could be that technical shift to make those industries profitable. Rob, thank you very much for joining us on The Check. Uh, It's been fascinating learning about AI as it applies to restaurants. 
No problem. Thank you for having me. And I appreciate all the great questions. Have a good afternoon. You too. Yeah, Rob, thanks for sharing your knowledge on where things might be going in the restaurant future. Well, I'm Alvin. I'm Brady. And this is The The Check. Check.